When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back, and this is the HTML All The Things Podcast. We had a very short and concise title for you for this episode, which we changed but it's is your site ready for prime time? That was the former title that is brought on by one of our clients. Uh, he inspired it. I don't get into more details other than that. But then we changed it to a more SEOable title through the help of Bing AI and only help because they helped us. And then we made it. We like tweaked it and changed it. And it is good enough is better than perfect. How to avoid burnout and launch your website faster. So the, the title is quite self-explanatory, or I guess we're experimenting now with longer titles, but if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or share this with your friends. And this episode is for all you people out there that are hesitant to release your site, release it to the public, release it to the audience, like the intranet, whatever it is that you're trying to release it into, who whoever is supposed to consume it. You're scared for them to get their hands on it for whatever reason. And we've seen this a lot with we've seen this a lot with our clients. We've seen this a lot even with us. Um, tutorial hell can even play a slight role in this, although we're not going to cover that necessarily because we've covered tutorial hell like 1400 bajillion times here. So we're going to uh, we're going to talk about. Hesitation that comes from a place of the desire for perfection, perfectionism. Maybe they, maybe the person that wants to release the site has a passion for the project and nothing is ever good enough. Sometimes somebody's anxious and they'll, they'll be like, oh my God, what are, what are the, what are the people going to think? What is the audience going to think? Sometimes they'll worry about the logistics, like how do I run this site after it's live and stuff like that. And there's also real world, more real world impacts, I suppose, like logistical problems like, hey, this, is supposed to be a blog. We have two blog posts. Where's the rest of it? So content creation could be a problem for timing, scheduling, experience. Like, hey, I, I have to learn the thing I'm about to write about. The learning part's going to take time. I forgot to I forgot to schedule that, whatever. And then there's also personal impacts, of course, which we've touched on a little bit already, which is, you know, you're delaying releases all the time. You're, you're spinning your tires with development and iterations. You're not getting any feedback. Maybe you're getting anxious because of that. Maybe you're getting burnout because of that. So how do how do we get ourselves out of this rut? How do we get ourselves out of this ever increasing scope creep? Whatever you want to call it. How do we how do we release this site? Release the project. And I have. Go ahead. Yeah, I just want to jump in before we go too too uh, too deep into it. But I think. Usually these kinds of issues happen when it's kind of a personal project or it's a passion project, something like that. A lot of times the way that um, a lot of times this doesn't happen in like a production app where you have a deadline, right? Like you need we need a application that allows our 
auditors to be able to log in, right? Like something like that into a dashboard. But we need it at this date because if we don't get it by this date, then they won't be able to log in. We'll lose X amount of money. Usually that kind of stuff will be a forcing factor. And we can talk a little bit about forcing factors as well later on in the episode. But I just want to kind of clear, make that distinction that I think a lot of what we're going to be talking about is towards people that are making their own projects, making their own blogs, making their own uh, apps, whatever, whatever it is. And they're having issues with that final step. And that final step is releasing it to the general public or to the audience that they're planning on releasing it to and starting the process of actually like using the application that they've been developing or website. Yes. And what's interesting about these kind of general problems that we experience is like we've already mentioned, there's there's the breakdown of the real world like, hey, we don't got enough blog writers. Yeah. And then there's also like the personal like, hey, I'm a little bit worried here. And so we're going to kind of outline some of the steps that we can take or you can take to sort of push, push a website out to come. Well, not, not to completion, but out to the public or out to the audience it's supposed to reach. And we have a bunch of different sort of topics we're going to cover. I'm going to cover, you know, setting an MVP slash releasing in stages. Same sort of idea. Uh, don't forget content. We've already touched on that. We're also going to be talking about should perfection be a goal? Like perfection kind of is and isn't a bad thing. It's perfect. So how is it bad? We'll talk about that. Monetization hesitation. So maybe the site is out there, but it's not doing what it's supposed to, which is make money. So like, why are we hesitating on the monetization step? And then we're going to be talking about personal hesitations or what we've coined as personal hesitations, which can include anxieties, uh, embarrassment, burnout, maybe some depression in there, whatever. We're going to talk about that type of stuff, but we're going to start going to start here with one of the more obvious sort of scope creep or anti scope creep or project management things, which is MVP, minimum viable product, releasing your project effectively in stages. So with an MVP, uh, basically you're determining, hey, I you know, I don't need a whole big website with seventeen hundred thousand pages and all the rest of it. Uh, it, the site is viable with just a thousand pages. Okay, good. That's our goal. It's, you know, one seventeenth literally of what our 17,000 page goal is. Let's get that out. And then we'll slowly release the other pages, the other articles, the other guides, whatever it is. And this is really helpful when the task at hand seems insurmountable. You look at it and you go, Oh, here we go. And this could be something as simple as Mike and I have been approached to make an Uber competitor, an Uber Eats competitor specifically, or a skip the dishes or whatever you want to call it, DoorDash. And it's like, hey, like the technical part of it we could do, although I don't know about the load balancing, but the technical part we could do. But like, like, how are we going to get into the restaurants? How are we going to convince them? We got to have someone on the ground, I think. And then it just starts snowballing from there. How do we get the marketing involved? How do we do this? How do we do that? And it becomes, whoa. So in order to like take a problem like that, that seems insurmountable, you'd want to like really make it easy. And you might go, okay, this is not a DoorDash competitor, at least not on mass. This is a local delivery app. And we're going to do this in small towns or a small town. And then we'll slowly release it, be bigger and bigger and bigger. So this takes that insurmountable scope and it breaks it into a smaller project that can function and have utility in use, or I guess utility is use. So have utility by itself. And then you can release that MVP and continue working on the rest of the scope. You might start in one town, then have a second town, a third town. Now you've understood, okay, yeah, we do need people on the ground. Okay. Let's try one city. Like, and, and then add that to your portfolio. Okay. Another city, a whole province, a whole county, a whole whatever. And you slowly kind of creep out like that. 
The benefits of an MVP, obviously, is a faster release, as we said. It helps you kind of get over that insurmountable task, that insurmountable hump of like, oh my God, we're going to be working for literally 100 years to try to plug every hole, solve every problem before we even release, of, of, of at which time there will be more problems, because there always is. There's less project management. So usually you have to hire a project manager, you have to do the management yourself, and there's just less scope. So there's going to be less project management with an MVP. And upon release, you start getting real data that will steer the rest of the project in another direction, potentially. It might, it might confirm what you're doing and it might, you, you might get real data that says, yes, what you're doing is great. You're generating a whole bunch of clicks, a whole bunch of orders in our DoorDash example. But sometimes it'll be like, Hey, you know, you don't have any people on the ground talking to these, you know, mom and pop restaurants. Uh, we better have someone in there talking to them. And maybe we should have someone from the local community because they're a smaller, tight knit community. These are little pieces of feedback that you would never receive or never think of potentially. Uh, until you actually went out and started doing that. Now, there is an alternative to the MVP that I do want to pass on to Mike because he mentioned it to me. I've never even heard of this, and it is called an MLP. Mike, what is an MLP? Yeah, totally. So uh, the discussion a lot of times now internally in companies is do we go MVP or MLP? And this comes down to the fact that not everything is possible with an MVP, obviously, because even though you can create a viable product, that might be not something that can sell or can prove the concept that you're trying to prove. So the different mindset is minimal lovable product where like, hey, we really, really like what we've created here. It has the features that we need, not just viable, but we need these features to be able to prove the concept that we have. But it all always should come down to proving the concept. When you're first releasing something, Matt mentioned it, and it's the most important point, I think, out of all of this, is that feedback that you generate when you first release something is something that will drive the direction of your company forever moving forward. Initially, when you're building in a vacuum, before you have people like users actually using something, you don't know what you're going to have. You might have a hit or you might have something that fails immediately. The earlier you can get to the stage that someone can tell you that you failed, the faster it is that you can pivot and your mindset when you're going into releasing your own blog, your own application, your own website, whatever, should be, I need to fail as quickly as possible. That's the mindset you, that you need, that you need to have. Because the reality is, is that you're, you might fail. You're probably going to fail in the first iteration. And by fail, I don't mean like, you know, go bankrupt or your app is useless, but you're going to have certain situations or issues in, in the app or the website that aren't going to cut it. And without getting it out there and getting some feedback on that, you won't know. And feedback is not like, hey, you know, customers fill out a form and tell me what you like and don't like. I'm talking feedback as in the analytics are showing that no one's going to your site or the analytics are the, the error tracking is showing that anytime anyone goes to the dashboard, it crashes. That's the kind of feedback that I'm also talking about. It has to be across all levels of the application that you're sending out. So when you're building the application, you should be building out feedback loops within it as well. That's another really, really important part about having an MVP because if the, if the whole point is to get it out as quickly as possible and to understand where to go after, you have to have metrics in place that will tell you where to go. So make sure that you have analytics, Google Analytics set up or whatever other analytics. Maybe if your application is very, you know, um, JavaScript heavy, have some sort of logging platform like LogRocket or something where you can go in and see that, hey, you know, I have 30% of people hitting this page and having console errors. 
have different situations where you can get that feedback and you can act on that feedback as fast as possible. And again, it comes back to this is to try to get you to launch as fast as possible to get to the stage where you can start iterating to create the better product. That's why you want to launch to create a better product. The MLP sounds like it would lend itself, at least in my opinion, to something like a hobby or a passion project where maybe you're trying to make like a collector's like a collector's uh, auction house or something like that. And then you're passionate about some form of collecting, like car collecting and the car part isn't done yet. The car, like you don't, you don't have the ability to list cars yet for whatever reason you might say, Hey, you know, this is viable, but let's hold off. Cause this is my project and I want that car part in there. However, I will say that that is potentially a slippery slope because you might be like, well, we can't list alloy wheels anymore or something or yet. Let's wait, let's wait, let's wait for the next feature, next feature, next feature, and then you got yourself a problem. But it is good to have some nuance there, maybe, where it's not necessarily just MVP, it's MLP. Because, of course, you could come out with a platform that, say, competes with DoorDash or whatever, like we said earlier, and then it just has no, it's so, like, robotic, and it looks like Windows 98, and <laughs> it's, you know, very old because you just like threw together something really quickly. The designers haven't looked at it and you're like, I hate this. <laughs> like this works. It's fine, but I hate this. And I actually just recently released uh, an image of a little tool that I'm making for you to like sort of learn and play with the background blend property. And I took a screenshot of it and it's ugly right now for sure. It It, it just has like statuses that are like red and stuff like that because it's all for me it's for me to look at it there's a reset button that says reset on top of it and the button says reset and stuff because it's just me throwing it together quickly to learn to uh to like create the thing engineer it and then i'll go through and be like okay cut this out cut this out move this move that move this whatever and i'll end up you know making it better so i'm not releasing it in its current state even though it is useful because it's uh it looks bad (laughs) so i don't i don't love it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> an MLP on that. I mean, it's just a code pen, but an MLP for that, for sure. Next one here is don't forget content. This sounds really weird. Like you're like, man, you know, maybe my site requires content or just is a content site. It's a blog. And that's all it is. Why or how or like what like what happened? Like, how did you forget the content? And it it's and it happens like it's, it's happened to us to uh, like literally to us. It's happened in insights that we worked on for clients. And it is that content gets talked about a whole bunch and then it gets forgotten in the exact same meeting and it never sees the light of day again. Commonly, people will bring up, you know, once we have these blog posts ready, there's a common quote. Well, once we have the content ready, once we have these (laughs) videos ready and then the conversation turns to the web developer or maybe to the marketing department or to someone else and we start talking about all the upcoming changes that is going to be done on the technical side, the marketing side, the this, the that, whatever. And then the blog posts just get buried. The blog posts are are like constantly acknowledged in every meeting. They get buried in all the other stuff. They never get written or they get written so slowly where we're like, hey, we, you know, we we thought on this date we'd have 100. We got 10. We got two. Now, what happened here? And content just seems to be forgotten because it's it takes a lot like it's a content is oftentimes a constant on a website. It is a constant. And that's why I think it gets forgotten. People are like, oh yeah, yeah, like of course we'll write blogs. Of course we'll write blogs. Of course, of course, of course. Because blogs help you 
show up in various search results and it helps you reach a larger audience. This is even if your your website or your product or your brand is primarily some sort of web app. Like let's say you offer cloud storage. You will oftentimes have a marketing site on top of the web app and that marketing site will be all SEO to the nine as well as have a whole bunch of content in there, a whole bunch of blog posts talking about your competitors, comparing you uh, to your competitors, talking about why you should use cloud storage, talking about what a backup is versus redundancy versus this versus that. All those things get people onto your site. They get they read through and then maybe they'll click, oh, I, you know, I wouldn't mind using this cloud storage software. They sound like they know what they're doing. They click in and then you've got a new customer. But this content is a constant. It's something that it's easily tossed aside in our planning and we forget that it it's not just Oh, you know, that's just a blog post, you know, making the actual web app part is so much more difficult. You know, you know, it's just a blog post. It's just a blog post. And then it gets pushed all the way back. And we forget that a blog post takes idea generation, drafting, editing, marketing. So they have to do the keyword research and the SEO to make sure that the actual writing is or the, the topic is applicable. Like, is it in a niche? Is it a huge market that's too competitive? Whatever. Realistically, the marketing, the SEO research, some of this stuff should be done before we even start drafting. <laughs> we should, you know, it, the, the, the SEO research and that type of thing might even cut ideas right off the cutting board. You might have a, a, a brainstormed list of 15 ideas. You might cut seven right away. That's it. We're getting rid of these type of things. But then even when this the whole thing is done, the drafting, the marketing, the everything is all sorted out. There's more marketing to do. And there's the whole publish stage. What does that mean? Well, you got to format the thing for your CMS. If you're commissioning writers or if you yourself are writing, maybe you're not writing in the CMS. You might be writing in Word. You might be writing in Google uh, Docs. You might be writing in Word Online. Who knows? So you got to format this thing for your CMS. Then you have to find appropriate images because oftentimes the images in very informative posts anyway are just sort of eye candy. They're not like useful. So you have to find appropriate images there. If you do have quote unquote use like useful images like tables and stuff like that, that you have to take a picture of like a graph or something, then you have to get those and get them at a good resolution. You have to compress them so that they're small. You have to get them at the right size. You have to make sure they fit in there. It has to be responsive. There's the whole thing. Then you have SEO part, a little bit of marketing here again of writing friendly descriptions for open graph for your open graph metadata. And so make sure that when someone shares your post on social, the appropriate open graph image appears, the appropriate title appears, the appropriate description appears. And what it doesn't just get auto generated by Google. Like you want to control that as much as you possibly can. So you have to tailor to that. Then you have to have somebody, which is also kind of a marketing thing, go into Google because Google changes descriptions and changes titles. They have to go and look and they're like, hey, I do not want my title changed. So I got to write something that I think, because it is always a little bit of a guess, I think Google's going to keep, but I want to be in control of this as much as possible. Then Google in some form factors, I think it's, I think it's just on desktop, but I might be wrong there. I've been switching back and forth between Bing and Google now, so I don't remember, but it will show, and we've had one of our clients had a problem with this, where it will show your little image, like your favicon, which is fine little icon. And then it shows your URL, which makes sense. Like, oh, you know, this is my website, whatever. And then there's the name of the website. And it decided the name of this person's website. It was the wrong, it's the wrong name. So we had to go in there and like, kind of like push it toward choosing the right name. We clearly didn't have enough context in there for it to choose the correct name. And that's just a thing. Like, this is something that needs to happen. This is, this is like a bunch of this is happening after, after the, 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 the thing has been written, after the thing has been, 
the idea has been generated. The idea has been researched. You got to get your sources in order. Like, is this stuff rocket science? Not necessarily, but it is a lot of work. And you do have to understand SEO. And some of that stuff does become like rocket science. It does start getting complicated. And so it's easy to, to just skip out on content because it's a constant, but it, you shouldn't be skipping out on content. It needs to be, if not as important as the technical stuff, at least like only one step down, depending on how de- reliant you are and how complex your web app is, if that's what you're building on the side. And as a final thing, I've been mentioning blog posts. You might be trying to get into those video into the video space because Google will suggest videos and sections of videos where it'll be like, oh, the the answer to your your query is at minute one through minute three of this video. You might try to get in there and video generation can be a big thing because you got to have a place to film it. You got to know what you're saying. Are we even saying stuff in there? Is it a voiceover? Do we need microphones on set? Are we filming outside? Do we have wind socks on the cameras? Do we know how to color correct? What resolution are we doing? Do we need a camera team? A whole, like, a whole thing. You need someone to edit that thing. And so do not forget content. Don't just keep saying, oh, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. It's just a blog post. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. You'll get to it. It ain't going to be easy when you get to it. It's a good point. It's, I mean, it's probably the thing that's delayed most projects out of any ones that I've any, any anything that I've ever worked with. Um, usually, just like Matt said, it's something that's brought up initially as a very important thing and then completely forgotten about to the very end and then can delay a project months. Like I've seen that happen. It can delay the release of something because they really needed that video out there or they really needed, you know, the five blog posts that they wanted to launch with. This is a tough one because most of the time, I recommend like if the, if they're dragging their feet on the content, I'll be like, let's just launch without it. And by content, I mean like the actual like blog pieces, right? And obviously not their descriptions and about pages and stuff. Those are something you really need to hit your clients with if we're talking from a client project or you need to hit yourself with, with like generating them and creating them yourself, right? Uh, so it's a difficult part because A, clients are very busy usually like anyone that you work with has a business the website is not their main business so they have a huge hesitation in wasting time quote unquote so you have to prove to them that hey this is a really important aspect of the site launch and then you you are it's onus on you if you want to launch on time with the content to follow up on a consistent basis every check-in ask how they're doing the content and know and note the cutoff point being like hey if we don't get it by this point, we're delayed and therefore we're probably going to launch without it if you want to launch at all, right? So you got to, that, that's that's the key. You have to have that clear communication. And again, it applies to yourself as well. If your goal is to launch in, you know, the next two months and you reach three, like one and a half months and you haven't even started writing a blog post, know that you're going to have to either launch without it. So adjust your plan or really cram in and, you know, adjust your expectations on what you need to launch. And that's the, this is the difficult part. Like you want to get out your con, you want to get out whatever you're creating as fast as possible. If the goal of your creating is to launch a blog with posts, you need to focus on the content almost just as much as focusing on the actual technology and the, the website and everything else. Like it should be almost a one to one correlation, not, Hey, I'm setting up this website and now one day later, like one day before launch, I'll start writing my first blog post. It's not going to work. Like you're going to have to delay, which is unfortunate. 
the thing the thing there too is we 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 were we have worked obviously with clients that have asked for blog sections and I mean the the, re- the realistic part of this is is I have more blog sections on websites that have zero posts and are hidden behind like they're not being they're not published publicly because it's we're quote unquote waiting for someone to write some posts and it's been years and we've never awoken that feature and so that's wasted time that they paid for because I built that little blog section for them they they paid for that. But also we have we have people that get so enthralled and so busy with running the other aspects of their business, even if it's an online business, like they get so enthralled with the rest of the site that whenever I mention, hey, man, like make some blog posts, make some blog posts, hire someone to do it, make some blog posts. It's no, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't. And it's like, yes, but you're leaving clicks on the table like you're you're spending all your time and effort and maybe it's required, but you do need to consider Hey, you are leaving clicks on the table here and you being completely enthralled with this other aspect of the business might be critical, but it is, I would argue in some of the people we work with, it's critical for them to get someone to do the, do the writing, to get someone to effectively, it distributes, it distributes you in your site throughout Google search results is effectively what it's doing. As assuming you've done your SEO research, you're writing relevant articles, you're an authority in the space, whatever. There's a whole SEO player's handbook that changes every night. But, but you know what I'm saying? And it's unfortunate when people get caught up and get really bogged down by lack of planning for their content. Just thinking it's going to be there when it, it, it isn't. This one here. This is going to be a big one, I think. Should perfection be a goal? Should you shoot for perfection? So I have an example scenario that I want to kind of lay out first. If you were in the market for a sports blog, you want to purchase a sports blog. You want, and your goal is to make ad revenue. Let's just make it easy. Ad revenue, you want that. And one of these sports blogs come on the market. It's a rarity. You don't see these every day. And it's in your price range. It has a ton of good articles, a bunch of good articles. And these articles proves the business, meaning that there is a lot of clicks, there's lots of traffic, you'd be able to put some ads on there, make some money, maybe there's already ads on there, whatever. But the performance is bad. You don't have a good Google PageSpeed Insight score. It's running on an old WordPress, maybe. Maybe it hasn't been updated in years. So you think, oh, like this could be a, you know, this could be troublesome. Maybe some of these plugins don't even exist anymore. And let's say because it's old like that, the web design is bad. And so it's it's bad to the point where you're not just like, well, it's functional. It's more so, uh, oh, geez, like maybe we should get a new theme in here or something on this WordPress. Here's a question. Is there still value here? And where where is it? Now, I would argue that there is still value here. This website has has problems, no doubt. Maybe that's why it's in your price range. Maybe your price range, your budget's too too low. You underestimated the market. but. It, it's doing one of the hardest parts. It has a bunch of co- good good articles that can make the change between different themes. It looks, it's mostly a written word. And it has a lot of clicks and a lot of traffic despite these problems. This is not a perfect website. This thing does not have perfection written all over it. It has, this thing's been run into the ground and now needs to be sold. Or not even necessarily run into the ground. It's been run for clicks. And now the person's done with it. They're retiring. They're done with it, whatever, whatever the reason is. So I would say, yes, there's still value here. 
and depending on price and, you know, all the rest of it, your budget and this and that, maybe, maybe this is something you should pick up if you know how to like fix up a WordPress. The point is not about the pricing. The point is not about negotiating the price or anything like that. That's not the point here. The point is that something even that's imperfect still has potentially great value. Because the goal here is not that, oh my God, the, the logo is slightly a different shade of red than I wanted it to be. And it's two pixels over to the left. That's what perfectionists will do. They'll freak out about stuff like that. And then someone that comes in who's just kind of browsing around is never going to notice that stuff. And so there is still value in something that is imperfect. So with that, the answer to the question is no, perfection should not be a goal. Good should be a goal. Fine. Great. Of course. And just like the episode title, good enough, right? has good enough right in there. Good enough is better than perfect. But perfect is something that we will strive for. But don't get hung up on it. You know, make it good. Make it a lovable product, a viable product, something that's still valuable and keep improving. But you don't need to freak out and try to make it perfect tonight, today, whatever. So here I have an imperfect list of what makes a website perfect. So because I'm sure I missed stuff. Maybe some of this stuff's even wrong. But this is some things that people will obsess over. And these are things that we've seen from from either us making sites and we've obsessed over or uh, what our clients have obsessed over in the past that have had minimal, uh, minimal impact in some cases. Good performance. 90 plus page speed insights. Is this a good thing? Great. Yes. But maybe you have 100 and you have no blog posts. Well, how valuable is your site? Next thing, useful and functional content, meaning that it's useful to the audience. Maybe it's a guide and the guide is correct and it helps people. That's great. And it also ranks well in search. This is something that people will obsess over. Is that is that, you know, something you should be perfect on? Uh, I mean, it, ideally, but uh, Google is going to change their update all the time. So uh, just get it out there. Make sure that you SEO it well. Make sure that it's searchable with the keywords you want to be searchable and uh, move on because you do you want to spend forever working on one article that may be in, an, in a niche that's smaller than you writing 10 other articles, for example. Maybe you're like you're going to be number one in this one spot if you obsess over this article, but there's only 30 people that search it a month. Well, that ain't great. Maybe you should move on. Accessibility features for every aspect of the site. Accessibility is extremely important, of course. Make sure that things you know are accessible. Absolutely. Every time and maybe run like an auditing program, stuff like that and keep checking. But the number one thing is, is don't like this is like a this is like a, a detail in which like if you miss one alt tag, don't halt all operations. Go in, fix the alt tag, move on. Go, you know, go, 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 go. Because you're going to mix other things up, too. That's not even accessibility. You're going to accidentally have divs on top of divs that had content on there. You're not going to be able to read it. Go in, fix it, move on. Don't go. Oh, my God. Now we got to do a whole site audit and check everything and freak out. No. With that, similar sort of thing, perfect UI UX doesn't exist because one person thinks that the UX is great because there's only two clicks. Another person needed more context and didn't know what the two clicks were. You have to determine what your audience is and where you're at. Also, as the audience evolves, maybe for some reason you're shooting for people that are uh, very technically inclined and then your audience for you know whatever reason over time evolves to be people that are more casual technologists where they have no idea uh, about the nuances and they may need more context so you have to, there is no perfect ui ux there's no way and the and obviously perfect ui meaning sort of like the web design totally subjective there's stuff that is objectively bad like things that are literally hard to read for human eyeballs fair enough things that like 
for some reason, there's music playing at full volume at random and like someone screaming as you scroll down a blog post and they scream randomly as you scroll and it's like a one in a thousand chance. Bad UX, bad UI, like, of course, that's foolish. Why would you have that? Or a button that just says, press this button to scream in the middle of reading a blog post on like, how do I clean my lettuce properly? <laughs> totally useless. Bad UI, like, why is it there? And bad UX, because why is it there? <laughs> um, a content release schedule. So this is something else that people will obsess over a content release schedule that is set as per the audience's peak engagement times. Good. That makes sense. And content release times are never missed. Uh, also good, but um, you're going to miss some dates for sure. And uh, you're going to miss some of your engagement times and your engagement times are going to change as your audience evolves. So uh, is there a perfection can be reached here? No. Again, just try to do it and do it the best you can and, you know, be strict about it. And maybe you're that one person that will never miss the schedule, but maybe your peak time changes slightly and you didn't realize quick enough. We're not perfect at it. You're never going to be perfect at it. Aggregate networks, meaning if you're a news source and you have eligibility requirements. So things like, okay, I just started my news site. I'm going to keep working, working, working. Hey, I'm eligible for Google News. I'd like to be on there. You're not, you're, you're going to miss some of that. Like you're going to forget to be, to apply to an aggregate. You're not going to get there right away, right as your eligibility comes in. It's not going to be perfect. There's no way. And then they're going to mess up some of the content. Uh, maybe your content's not formatted perfectly and some of that stuff's going to get messed up for a little bit and you're going to have to play with it and mess around. Again, just when there's a problem, just look at it, figure it out, and then move on. You don't have to be like, oh my God, like we have to do this or this or this or this and you're freaking out, whatever. Social media posts that complement the site's content releases. Another thing that people will obsess over. They will go nuts over, oh my God, like do I write three paragraphs here? Is there a hook here? Is there this and that? Important parts of a social media post. I'm not saying don't do this. But then think to yourself, I've spent an hour writing this post. Is this post ride or die? If it isn't, if it's good, just publish the thing. And lastly, graphics. For example, maybe a blog post hero or a header image. Ideally, in a perfect world, they'd be engaging and unique and not obviously some sort of free stock photo that everyone else uses. But in the reality of things, there's budgets where... You might use stock photo, free stock photos. Mike and I use them. Maybe you're using free AI photos or something. Mike, like Mike and I use those too. Um, a bunch of blogs use them. Uh, those type of things. Sometimes you don't have the most amazing header image that's perfectly engaging, but you need to release a blog post before some sort of event comes out. Well, what's more important? Releasing the blog post with a good image or like uh, just a relevant image or what, or a perfect image. Who's going to sit there and stare at the hero and go, man, they did a real good. A real good job in this header image. I love this header image. Or who's going to dive into the actual contents of the article if it's a useful and good article? Of course. And again, like I said, this is an imperfect list, so I'm sure there's a bunch of things I missed, a whole bunch of things that people did disagree with. And I want to be clear. All the stuff that I said is good stuff to know. It's good stuff to understand. It's good stuff to strive for perfection. But don't get caught up on the perfection. I'm not saying, oh, yeah, like just have your Google page speed score be two. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, if you're, if you, if your site was really bad, like you, you have all these articles, you're, you know, you're, you're running the race and you got all these content, content and you're editing and you're publishing posts and you're like, let's check the Google page speed. And the Google page speed is in the red. It's at 25. You're like, that's not good. You go in, you check. Oh, there's a bug here. Some JavaScript's running when it's not supposed to. You clear the bug out and it goes to yellow slash orange, the middle tier of Google page speed insights. Maybe that's good enough for the day. As you continue to process articles and then you get maybe someone else or you later to come in and make it green. 
Some people will disagree with me on this and they'll obsess over the Google page speed, but some people won't care about the Google page speed and they'll, they'll obsess over the, the perfect UI. They want the crispest images. They don't care about the performance. Tons and tons and tons and tons of things are going to be nuanced here. Some people are going to strive for perfection in one thing. Some people are going to strive for perfection in everything. I think you just do it good. Just do it good. This is my opinion. Everyone's opinion is different. You do it good and then you push the site out and that's it. And you fix it as you go. That's my opinion. Yeah, I think I think that's a very key opinion. Like, honestly, for me, when someone says I'm a perfectionist, it almost has become a red flag because Mm -hmm. that it could be a good thing. And I'm not saying that it's a red flag for everyone. It's just like something that I will question is. What do you mean by that? Do you mean that you won't release something until it's perfect? Or do you mean that you strive for perfection, but you understand that there is a limitation to what you yourself can do in a timely manner, right? Like a person can only be as good as they are and a, a product can be as perfect as you possibly can think it can be. But can you create that product in a timely manner when you are a person that has flaws? Like probably not. That's probably not the right mindset to have. You should be striving for growth rather than perfection. You should be striving for, hey, I need to release this in a good state, in a in what I deem a releasable state, which could be fairly good and great and all that. But I also need to be aware of my own inefficiencies and be okay with the fact that this is like part of this is probably going to fail. Part of this is not going to succeed in the way that I envisioned it to succeed. Maybe the design, maybe the, you know, the the performance, maybe the accessibility, something there is lacking. It's possible that you just didn't catch it or the applications that you're using to check just didn't catch it. And that's okay. The market changes. The markets change too. Yeah. Tools can change. Your accessibility could be good one day and then Google will release something and market as poor. Like that's okay. That stuff happens all the time. It's the idea that you want to release and improve that is much more relevant to our industry than rather than perfectionism. Perfectionism is something you want to limit to something like life critical, you know, situations. Like if you're building a space shuttle that's carrying astronauts, strive for like strive and be be perfect. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. But even with that, when you're creating a space shuttle, your first attempt at it when you're doing the test, the internal testing or the structural testing, whatever, you're going to fail. Like it's not going to be perfect. It's the, you, you fail many, many times to make a perfect product. And that's the same kind of mentality you can apply to the website, web industry or development and programming in general, is that like, it's okay to fail. Like now, obviously we're releasing stuff that isn't going to bring down, you know, society and it's not going to kill people and all that. So you can release stuff a little bit earlier to get that feedback. It makes it a little bit easier on us. But the strive that you want to improve is the is the big difference here is that you're going to keep improving it. And that's okay. That's the way you should think. And that's going to allow you to push yourself to release something faster. Yeah, it's like it's like the perfection. If we're working for a medical equipment place and you have a life support machine that is literally life critical, the life support machine should be as perfect as physically possible. But the marketing website for the life support machine doesn't need to be perfect. <laughs> you know, like, like spend your effort creation. where it needs to be. Yeah, the creation of the life support machine is going to have some failures within it as well. There's going to be cycles, prototypes and all that. Those are going to be failures. So it, you can't you can't make a perfect life support machine without failing to create a life support machine is the end product there. 
Mm-hmm. And people will, another thing that I didn't put in the list, um, although I do have written down here, is people will freak out, for example, about their competitors. And they'll be like, oh my god, my competitors are doing better, my competitors are doing better. And it's like, sure, but they started somewhere. And you can't, like, you, you should be competing against yourself, and you are competing against them. But, it, especially in, in like, something that's not, again, life critical, like, just doing some blogs, and you're like, my, my gaming blog started this day, their gaming blog started the same day, they're ahead of me. It's like, Sure, like, you know, try to learn that stuff and do whatever, but you're not going to just become amazingly more experienced. Maybe the person that opened that other blog has been in the industry for 15 years, got disgruntled at their at their employer and said, I'm out of here. And then they left and now they have 15 years of experience where you have that day's experience. You're in a race against yourself toward the greatness. Sure, but you're not going to be able to get 15 years experience in 15 minutes. It just ain't going to happen. Just ain't going to happen. The next thing here is another type of hesitation that I wanted to separate into a separate section. So I did might sound like it fits in that other one, but it's about monetization. So monetization is weird for some people. They'll get the site out. They'll be maybe not happy with it, but like good enough with it. If they're especially through perfectionists, they might not be happy with it. And they'll hold off on monetization until their project is quote unquote ready. And what does that mean? Well, sometimes it means literally they want to make sure that the thing is secure for credit cards and that. Okay, that makes sense. You're not ready if you're not sure if it's secure. But sometimes they're just worried about sort of releasing it to the clients en masse. They're they're worried about, you know, what's going to happen. And this can be good in a way. So here's an example. So let's say you have a web app and you just released it. You just released the MVP. You know, it itself isn't perfect. Maybe you're worrying primarily about customer acquisition. You do have a secure working credit card payment system through Stripe or, you know, whomever. And everything's working, but you don't have that public yet because you're at that MVP stage. And you want to have customer acquisition. You don't want to have monetization yet. And then eventually, you want to then release an update. Then you'll have a paid tier, a free and a paid tier. It's like, okay, well, maybe we'll hold off on the paid tier until we get the next update out. Because we want to just focus on customer acquisition. Sometimes that's good. The problem here is, is that it can be a slippery slope. And you might start waiting nonstop. And the more time spent waiting, the more the expenses grow. And you have nothing financially to show for it. Also, there's also something else that's a little bit weird here. You have no experience with learning monetization. And Mike and I actually have this problem. We make projects all the time. We make content all the time. Sure, we have sponsorships. Sure, we have ads on our website. Fine. But we aren't really versed in it. I don't monitor the number super closely, sort of, you know, marking it down in my books. Hey, this person sponsored the the show. They paid us hundred bucks or whatever. Those type of things. But I don't like monitor it and be like, oh, like what made them, you know, let's look at all my data. Like, let's look at all my charts and see, like, what made them want to sponsor me at that time of day and on that topic? And was it useful for them? And was that read good? And I don't have all the all that data. We don't have a lot of experience with monetization in that way. Mike and I have a lot of experience with monetize, monetizing our time, monetizing, literally trading time for money or project for money. Same sort of thing as time for money. That's where that's where our strengths, I guess, in the financial benefits, I guess, sphere of web development is. So we're trying to learn, or at least I'm trying to learn this monetization stuff. And to do that, I need to have more content on the on the HTML, all the things website 
to start seeing, oh, does Google is Google ads good? Maybe I shouldn't have ads like that. Maybe I should have ads that people contact me and I put their banner up. They pay me up front and it's not per click or I don't know. You know, I know how all that works. I could set pretty well any of that up, but I don't know how I don't I'm not I'm not refined. I don't have refined website monetization skills. And here it is. And this is a problem. The problem might be that if you're a newbie at websites and you're a newbie at monetization and you spend years not monetizing your site and now your site is a very refined, very good looking thing and you're like, all right, let's get some ads in here and you don't really know what you're doing. And then you slap an ad on there that looks really bad and you don't know how to fix that. You don't know, you know, should I have a banner ad? Like, should I have one of those ads where when you click a link, a whole sort of full page thing opens up and you have to click close on the ad to go to the next page? Like, is that okay? Do people like that? Do I have pop ups? Do I have sticky ads that scroll by? Like, what do I do? And now your monetization skills, your monetization uh, banners, whatever you want to say, is clunky on a very polished site. And so you it's just something to consider because some people would prefer to have their newbie site that looks like a newbie's site be right beside some newbie monetization and then both skills refine themselves at relatively the same pace. So you get a little bit better at monetization, you get a little bit better at web design, your site releases an update. A little better at both again, site releases an update. And then five years down the line, it looks like you have five years in, in website monetization skills and five years in web design skills or five years in blog writing, whatever, skills. Rather than have 13 minutes of, of, of like ad thing where you just like put a Yahoo ad in there and you're like, I hope this is all right. And then there's like a big scroll bar and you don't know what the heck is going on. You're like, why is my overflow? No. So just something, something to consider. Maybe you want to learn sooner rather than later. And maybe even if it isn't necessarily public, if you want to take the expense, like if you want to take the, the hit, maybe fine, but. You really should learn monetization skills. And that, I'm, tell, I'm telling you that from personal experience because we did not do that. And I feel like a fool. <laughs> so uh, learning it now. Correcting mistakes. Final thing here is kind of a doozy and it's personal hesitations. So I don't want to preface this with it with saying Mike and I are not doctors or psychologists or anything of the sort. But we all have our own anxieties and embarrassment things or embarrassment things, things that we're embarrassed about. Uh, depression, we can hit burnout, state of burnout, of course. And these are things that are usually more personal hesitations on releasing a site or releasing a product. And one of the things may be burnout. Well, how may that come along? Well, we've seen it several times with clients and even ourselves where we're constantly developing and iterating and trying new things and trying to get better, but we have no real feedback. The site's not live. There's no real feedback. There's no traffic. There's no revenue. You think it might be pointless. You start to panic. What do we do? Maybe you can start getting anxious. Oh my God. Now what, now what do we do? Okay. Let's just, let's just release it the way it is. And then you get a bunch of bad feedback and you got to go back and change a bunch of the stuff that you changed. Feedback that you may have been able to get a year ago if you released a year ago, depending on how long you've been spinning your tires. And this can really, really burn you out either releasing it to bad feedback after years of spinning your tires or just spinning your tires for so long that you get burnt out. Both of those things can contribute to burnout. I'm sure there's a bunch of other things that can as well. There's also something to consider here is that 
you know, smaller releases are easier to manage. So if you have that burnout, if you have those anxieties, it might be easier to do like an MVP and then update, 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 update. You kind of like fulfill, like you have that huge scope, break it down, and then you slowly fill that scope up with the updates. That might be where you want to be if it's going to help your anxiety and your burnout and that type of thing. Um, sometimes you get embarrassed with something. You might be embarrassed by, like, let's say you go to the site and uh, I, actually we have an example of this. So I've recently changed the HTML, all the things website, the top used to have like a featured, I call it like a featured uh, stories or featured post grid. And like most featured post grids, it has a bunch of stories in there and they're formatted differently than anywhere else throughout the site. And for our case, we call it featured stories, but they're just the latest stories that we've written or we've contributed. And I was embarrassed by it a little bit because we used to, you know, we'll do, Michael do like a YouTube video. We'll publish a post about it sometimes. And then obviously he'll use the image as his thumbnail, which makes sense because it goes into the open graph and yada, yada, yada. But then in this grid, this grid has like squares, then a rectangle, then small squares and medium squares and all this other stuff and rectangles all over the place. And so it will crop the image and then Mike's face gets cut off of his thumbnail or the he has a bunch of text in the thumbnail and it gets cut off or like I'll make a Webflow article. So I'll make a nice looking, at least nice to me, looking thing on Canva and I'll put it everywhere and it looks great on open graph and it looks great on the page. And I'm OK with some cut off if it's just like a hero image that's faded out like that's fine. It's just eye candy. But right on the home page, you just see this big like Webflow sign and it just gets cut off right in half. And it's like, whoa, this doesn't look good. That's embarrassing to me. And I, I would never really like share my site with people. I would share the individual stories, but I would never be like, hey, come on to the site. And how I know I'm embarrassed by it, that's why I want to bring this up, is that I'll make an excuse for it when I show somebody it. So if I'm on a Zoom call with some random person and they're like, hey, let me see your site and I send it to them, I'm immediately going to start saying to them, uh, ignore that top grid. We're still messing with our graphics. That's how I know I'm embarrassed by it. And so if you're a person that like is making those excuses, maybe that's the thing you need to tackle first or soon. Go in there and fix your low quality images. Go in there and fix your grid. Not to perfection. That's not what we're saying. Or do it as perfectly as you want, maybe because it's a really embarrassing thing. Like, oh man, this writing sucks. Like, I hate my writing. Like, well, maybe you gotta like learn to write better. It's gonna suck. It's gonna take a while, but maybe you gotta do that. It's just the way it is. But to me, this is just me personally. Like, I had to like rip the, like the homepage, a new one, basically, uh, on our, on our HTML, things.com. And I've made tons of changes. Some of them are still kind of like beta-ish in the back end, not to the people. Like I still have auto-generated classes and stuff in there, which I'll clean up um, because I'm not fully convinced that this is the design I'm going to go with. But I've made tons of changes. And even Mike, like last night, I was mentioning you at like 4.30 in the morning because I, I just was dri- being driven crazy by another layout thing where I was like, man, this looks like crap. And there's just redundant data in there. And just went in there and just completely changed how we upload or how, sorry, how the podcast show note pages show up on the homepage. Cause I just couldn't handle it. I just like, I just, I, this looks ugly. I hate it. And it doesn't look good now that we've redone the featured grid, which is right above where the podcasts are shown. So I changed it. And it's like, it gets rid of that anxiety of like, okay. And I told Mike like three times a day, I can now show the site off. I can go to somebody. It's not perfect, but I can go to somebody and be like, I made this. This is what, like, this is what I wrote. This is what I made this design. It's nothing crazy special. It's a tech blog. There's more changes to come, more iterations to come, but I can now show people it. And so that helps me personally. And that is we have we have two points here in the show notes. I have my 
anxiety cure. This is my personal thing is my, my uh, website anxiety cure is to release something that I'm proud of and that I can share with others with no excuses, not saying, oh, but like, sorry, it's loading really badly. It's like really slow. And it's because I haven't gotten to if I make those excuses, I don't want to share it. So no excuses. And I want to be able to show it and be proud of it. Mike, you have an anxiety cure. And again, this is just your personal thing. Yeah, for me, honestly, like when I'm in a stage of releasing something, uh, the longer I wait, the more anxious I get and the less likely that I'm even to release it. So for me, I need to create a timeline when a product is going to go live. And when it gets close to that timeline, I need to start preparing for release. So what that means is in the last like, I don't know, three weeks, a month leading up to a release, maybe two weeks, uh, I need to start making considerations of like what needs to be cut. Like if I didn't finish up to that point, right? Is there anything we can remove at this point so that we could still release and add that in after release, right? So that's how I get by this kind of anxiety because I know that if I, if every time we have to release with 100% of what we determine to need, we're probably never going to release on time. The reality is that estimating a software development project or even a website design project, whatever, is almost impossible to do it perfectly accurately because unless you're making the exact same website over and over again, a small little difference from site to site can make a massive change in your timeline. And you can try to predict it and you should try to predict it and you should get better at it for sure as you do, uh, but you need to leave some room, some wiggle room for the fact that you might have to adapt to the release deadline. Whether the adapt is, hey, we need to delay the deadline by a week, or the adapt is, hey, we need to drop this feature for the next, you know, and work on that post-release. So for me, that's kind of the only way I can deal with it because I'm all about this kind of mindset that good enough is better than perfect. And if I were to avoid that mindset and only release when I think it's perfect or when I think that it's quote-unquote ready for prime time, I would be out of this industry because I would be burnt out and I would be anxious throughout, like crazily anxious because that's where, that's where my anxiety builds up is when something that should be released isn't released and I can't think of a good reason for it not to be released. Right. So Matt said that his anxiety is like when he can share it with others without having any sort of like caveats. I mean, the caveats for me, like, if the caveats are not big, like if I'm just, if I'm okay with sharing it with someone, right? Period. Sometimes right? it's a prototype, you know, it's, yeah. just, it's just a play and you're just trying to show it. Exactly. Know? If I'm okay with sharing it with someone, that's my indicator that, hey, I, I'm I'm okay to release it. If I'm not okay with showing it to someone at all, then I know that we need to delay the launch. Like, you know, it, for instance, like if the authentication on the app is broken, Right. That's a core feature. Like you need to be able to log in. Obviously, I'm going to delay a launch. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Cause what are you launching then? A, a login screen? <laughs> Correct. But if the avatar icon is just being cut off or something like that, or it's not showing up on different screen sizes, that's something that I would be okay with still launching and then fixing later. Right. Whether and then features on top of that. Like, so if you need like a, uh, a dashboard screen that shows all the users that are logged in for uh, the admin the admin panel. If that's not ready for prime time, I'm okay with launching without that because that's something I can add later, right? So again, it's it's those things that you have to make that decision on a per feature, per situation basis. You can't make that decision until you're actually at the deadline, pretty much. So get to the deadline, set yourself up for success, be okay with some, you know, maneuvering around. So either, again, 
uh, maneuvering with a timeline or just cutting features. And that's how I avoid kind of burnout and anxiety and how I can actually ship products. Without that, I wouldn't be able to ship. Yeah, there. I think it's interesting because we we added this. I'm trying to like kind of kind of come up with a response on on the fly, and it's it's we we added this like sort of section, this like personal hesitation section, like to the end of the episode because I didn't have this in the episode originally, and then we started kind of talking, like you and I, Mike, started talking about these type of things, and you're like, well, you know, like smaller releases make it easier for me, and I'm like, you know what, like there is. Like you and I both came to the conclusion that, you know what, there is like these personal things that will really hold you back. And we have clients that are just held back by, you know, the perfectionist thing. And whether it's because of anxiety or something where they're like, no, 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 this has to be perfect. This has to be perfect. This has to be perfect. Um, or if they, you know, a personal hesitation, you know, couldn't even be one of these things. It could be something like laziness. You know, we, we do have people that are just like, man, I don't want to do this. We've, we've been told by clients, I don't want to do this. And it's like, okay. Okay. How do I, how do I respond to that? Um, stuff like that. It's like, I, I mean, I'm building this thing for you. Like, if you don't want to use it, I mean, okay, whatever, I guess things like that. Um, but you know, there is those personal hesitations and sometimes it is, you know, harder to get through than just saying, make sure your content plan's good. There are those personal, uh, hurdles, I suppose, those personal humps to get over. And then eventually, hopefully you release, you release your dang site. Not in a perfect state. I don't know. That kind of sounds like I'm wishing that your site is imperfect, but I think it'll be imperfect regardless. So. But anyway, I think that concludes this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, the kind of an interesting one and one that we're dealing with right now with the updates with HTML, the things go check that out. HTML, the things.com. Uh, we're starting to release new content on there. Some new written, whatever. By the time this episode comes out, I should have one new one at least. We're contacting some people to write on the site as well. So we might be throwing some stuff up on there from their catalog, or maybe they'll write some stuff, unique stuff for us, whatever. Starting to get some more content on there. I want the HTML of things website to be you know, more utilitarian than it is and something that I can be proud of as well. So go check that out. Go says subscribe to it. I guess subscribe to our YouTube channel. Sure. <laughs> Um, but go check us out on the old TikTok as well. I have a new uh, tutorial that released uh, this week as of recording it. So it should be about a week ish old as of uh, you hearing this, if you're listening to it right away. But anyway, I think it is time to conclude the episode and thank our $3 tier patrons, Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital and BlueBlackDigital.com, Tim from The Web Hacker on TheWebHacker.com, Bib Hashdash from NineBlockMedia, NineBlockMedia.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com. Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se. Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale. And Fire Ant Season via fireantseason.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you're listening to this on. And this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.